The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by Sim Trainer. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. afternoon listeners and welcome to this Christmas weekend pre-recorded broadcast of Shooting from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro in with Mark Avery and we're from Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's first indoor range and firearms training center. You can visit us on the web at www.sim-trainer.com. You can give us a call down at the range at 937-293-3914 or you can stop by our facility which is located at 2031 Dryden Road and we'd be more than glad to discuss with you any of your firearms related needs or interests. Along those lines I want to remind our listeners that we will be closed for this weekend. Um, Closing on Friday, Saturday and Sunday will be open Monday through Thursday the week between Christmas and New Year's and then we'll be closed again on uh, New Year's Day through um, the following Monday, just uh, giving our staff a chance to enjoy the holidays. Well, we will be open again on Monday. Yes, we'll be open again the following Monday. But uh, um, if you want to come down and see us, we'd be more than glad to help you out with any of your uh, 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 post-Christmas firearms-related needs or interests if there are some things you're looking to buy. I'm not saying we're going to have any uh, of the most popular items in stock, but things are actually starting to trickle. Um, over the last uh, month, I got more guns than I got in the previous eight months. And some of you have taken advantage of the sales that we've advertised on our Christmas flyer and our Thanksgiving flyer prior to that. Which is a great plug for be part of our email list because by the time we get a chance to get on the air, it's probably too late to talk about what's left. Absolutely, because half the guns on both of the previous flyers, uh, the Thanksgiving flyer, flyer and then the Christmas flyer, which just went out uh, two days ago, uh, we're gone within two days. So, well, that was Monday. Yeah, just uh, yeah, yeah earlier this ago, week, yeah. I should say. Yeah, and um, uh, matter of fact, we had three people standing at the counter when we opened the door for the the guns <laughs> that were advertised in yep. the in the flyer. Happens every time. Yeah. Well, and especially given that it's been so long since we got new inventory, as soon as as soon as some was available, people had been waiting and waiting. So, and, and that's what's going on right now. And I would encourage you. Um, I I don't know for for a fact, but I think that. Uh, some of our, uh, our 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 partners in this, so whether it's Vendalia Tactical or Old English or or Miami Armory, um, even even uh, places like Rural King and Field and Stream. Yeah, yeah, they may be getting more things, and you certainly can uh, go down and take advantage of of what they have. I know that uh, both Cabela's and Field and Stream have limits on ammo, and they have very limited ammo. I, I know that only because I happened to be in the store. Uh, when they brought out a, a case of 380, and I was able to get a few boxes, and it was gone in about three Very minutes. Very few. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was gone in about three minutes. So, um, those that's what's kind of going on in the industry. Uh, if some of you follow our Facebook page, you'll see that the president and CEO of uh, uh, Federal CCI Spear in uh, Remington now um, went on uh, on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago just to kind of clear up some rumors about conspiracy theories surrounding ammo. And the biggest thing I can tell you is what we've been talking all along 
about, and that's simply uh, supply-demand issues. Um, he made it very clear that when you just take uh, 7 million new gun owners and you account for 100 rounds for each uh, individual, that's 700 million additional rounds that they had to produce, and that's uh, created extreme uh, difficulty. And then you add to that a uh, worker shortage um, and primer and bullet shortages, and it was the perfect storm, and it continues and um, the people in the industry says it may not get uh, home a lot better till the middle of next year. So hold on. Uh, it's going to be a long ride. We're in it for the long haul. Uh, we've been somewhere like in situations like this in the past, not quite as extreme, but we'll get through it and uh, we'll be stronger for it. So um, just uh, keep the faith and let's keep moving forward. Well, one good piece of news is that it does seem like this is not just a spike, but it's an increased level, and the ammunition manufacturers are beginning to recognize that. So uh, that's that's a good thing, I think. I wanted to take today's show to uh, talk about uh, a matter that's been in the news for the last month and um, is uh, getting more and more attention, and that's uh, the ATF publishing a document uh, entitled Objective Factors for Classifying Weapons uh, with Stabilizing Braces and inviting public opinion to... Uh, um, get some input or feedback relative to what their intended uh, purpose is ultimately going to be is, uh, is uh, indicate by, um, uh, I don't even know, it's not even going to be a law, it's going to be a... It's going to be more government regulation. It's going to yeah, be just be a regulation um, to put a limitation on the use of uh, stabilizing braces on, uh, on certain types of firearms. And uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms had published what they talk as uh, objective factors, and Mark and I will discuss that in more detail in a few minutes, um, that they considered when evaluating firearms uh, with attached stabilizing braces. Now, those of you that are familiar with stabilizing braces, they come in various configurations. There's multiple companies that make those and uh, sell them independently or sell them in conjunction with certain firearms of different types of manufacturers. So there's lots of different uh, things to take into consideration. And what many of these uh, manufacturers of stabilizing braces do is they submit them to ATF ahead of time to see if they meet the, the criteria that would allow them to be utilized in the intended capacity. The problem is, um, in, in my opinion, tracking this from years ago, probably 2012 when it first became an issue, understand the whole concept of uh, stabilizing braces came about because manufacturers recognized that there was a need, as stated by people who felt the need, that uh, had certain types of disabilities uh, or um, uh, inabilities of their 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 inability to handle uh, AR style weapons uh, be, or firearms because of uh, certain um, injuries that they sustained or certain um, uh, handicaps that they have. And we're talking and, about in many cases we're talking about wounded warriors who've come yes. back. They've lost limbs or they've lost par portions of limbs. They'd still like to be able to use the same types of firearms that they're familiar with and probably used before they were even in the service. But now they've they've come back. They would still like to enjoy the shooting sport. So that was that was one of the, the principal drivers that came up with these devices, these uh, braces. Yeah, and as a result, many of the manufacturers produced and sold devices uh, that were designed to be attached to um, heavier pistols, the AR-style pistols, and they were marketed to help the shooter stabilize or have more control um, by providing a degree of support on the arm or whatever portion of the limb that was available so that they could, in fact, uh, shoot them. And they've, they've stated several times, the, the ATF stated several times in this 
document that they put out there is that uh, the brace concept was inspired by the needs, as Mark said, of disabled combat vets who still enjoy the recreational shooting but could not reliably control the pistols without assistance. So that's kind of how it evolved um, from the beginning. Um, but what happened later on, I think, has gotten us to this point. But again, in my opinion, um, I have seen through my own eyes and heard through my own ears people talk about what their intended uses were. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple of other things that happened with the ATF. So in 2015, back in January of 2015, they sent out some guidance that, was, uh, that basically said, if you have uh, one of these shoulder stocks, but it is employed, I mean, one of these uh, arm braces, and it is employed as a shoulder stock, and with a barrel of less than 18 inches for a shotgun or 16 inches for a rifle, then it becomes an unregistered NFA firearm or uh, a small, a short-barreled rifle. Now that was challenged, and in 2017 uh, there was a letter to the ATF that challenged that. In March of that year, they came back and they quote clarified their analysis, which said, "Well, well we didn't really mean that, um, but what we're saying is that." Um, it, 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 yeah, we, that's kind of what we said, but, um, it, it's not, if it's not intended to be and cannot comfortably be fired from the shoulder, then that, that, you know, that doesn't really fall in that category. If it wasn't redesigned and redesign is one of the key factors that they described in that letter from March 21st of 2017. That letter's out there for people to read, and you can draw your own conclusions. And Mark and I actually differ on the intent and scope of that letter. The one thing that I think about that letter that is most relevant is that it addresses the intended use of the buyer or the possessor of the uh, the firearm that has the pistol stabilizing brace on. And what they're talking about there is if an individual who has a handicap buys the device so that he can more efficiently handle um, that gun, that's one purpose. If another person buys uh, the the um, um, the pistol, the AR pistol, with a stabilizing brace on, with the intended use to shoulder that and to subvert the um, the requirement of paying a two hundred dollars tax stamp or fee and going through the application process of classifying that firearm with the stabilizing brace as an NFA document, that creates another uh, a, a, another a total different discussion. Or dilemma. Well, so let me actually read from the 2017 letter because I think it. I think what the actual words are are is relevant. So it says, with respect to stabilizing braces, uh, ATF has concluded that attaching the brace to a handgun as a forearm brace does not make a short barrel rifle because in the configuration as submitted to and approved by the, the ATF, it is not intended to be and cannot comfortably be fired from the shoulder. If, however, the shooter or possessor takes affirmative steps to configure the device for use as a shoulder stock, for example, configuring the brace so as to permanently affix it to the end of the buffer tube, thereby creating a length that has no other purpose than to facilitate its use as a stock, removing the arm strap or otherwise undermining its ability to be used as a brace, then, in fact, shoots from the firearm from the shoulder using it as accessory as a shoulder stock that person has objectively quote redesigned unquote the firearm for the purposes of the nfa this conclusion is not based upon the mere fact that the firearm was fired from the shoulder at some point therefore an nfa firearm has not necessarily been made when the device is not reconfigured I added that emphasis on not, for use as a shoulder stock, even if the attached firearm happens to be fired from the shoulder. So 
They have said, and that was in that, in that uh, 2017 letter from March 21st, they specifically said it's not just how you use it, but you had to have reconfigured it in some way, whether, whether by a permanent attachment, padding it to make it more comfortable, take the strap off so that it makes it easier to do whatever you're going to do. So those kinds of things cons- are considered objectively reconfiguring the firearm. Right. Now, that, that same article also talked about incidental, in, incidental use versus intended use, and they even make reference that, to that in the current um, letter that they're offering for people to, to look at. And what has happened since that time, I'm sure— well, let me read that paragraph. Well, well, hold on. Let me just address that issue, and then I'll let you read it. What's happened since that time is they've looked at the reality of what's going on in the world of uh, um, how these, these firearms are, in fact, being used— Uh, on a day-to-day basis. Go ahead and read the one paragraph. The next paragraph says, to the extent that the January 2015 open letter implied or has been construed to hold that incidental, sporadic, or situational use of an arm brace in its original approved configuration, equipped a firearm from a firing position at or near the shoulder was sufficient to constitute redesign, such interpretations are incorrect and not consistent with the ATF's interpretation of the statute or the manner in which it has historically been enforced. And the key phrase there is, as long as it's incidental, whether purposeful. The, the key phrase there is, in its original approved configuration. And they've since revised that, and they've gone through the revisions as a result of that entire misinformation or mis- designation at that particular point well basically what you're saying is that they have been arbitrary and capricious they can change their mind at any time and then it's upon us to figure well, out what the right answer is by knowing caused, what's going to happen in the future that's what caused this because ted cruz and several other senators said wait a minute you can't leave people out there hanging with just vague and inconsistent responses we have to come to some conclusion on this so people have something to hang their hat on, and that's what resulted in the, this 10- or 12-page document that they're now asking for public well, and in fact, opinion. And, in fact, that letter is pretty important because that, I believe, is they didn't actually, as far as I can tell, they did not respond to the letter uh, that the senators sent, but their response is this public document that is now out for comment. So uh, if you haven't seen that document, if you haven't been to regulation.gov, it's pretty important that you get out there and read it. We'll put a link in our Facebook page so that you can do that. We need to take our first break for the hour. So uh, again, we are uh, pre-recorded today. Contact us by getting to our website at sim-trainer.com and send us an email at the contact link. This is Mark Avery and Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show. And uh, right before the break, Mark and I were having a pretty heated discussion about... Uh, lively. Lively discussion. About, <laughs> and that's what we want to do on this show, and it's one of the main purposes, particularly about... Uh, the ATF uh, publishing a document entitled Objective Factors for Classifying Weapons with Stabilizing Braces and Asking for uh, Public Opinion. Mark will have those linked on our news tab on our website so that you can go and uh, read for yourself and then, if you want to, even offer personal comments. I'll uh, also put it on our Facebook page. So, you know, where, yeah. wherever you normally get to us, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash simtrainer or you can go to sim-trainer.com and click on the news link and it'll be in both places. Relevant to this discussion is something that Mark and I have talked about. Uh, understand that 
whether or not the NFA should exist at all in provisions for monitoring um, individuals' uh, possession of firearms is a very important discussion, but it's unfortunately not one that we're going to have time or resources to devote to on multiple shows. And I would also encourage people who comment not to bring that up because that is just going to cause your comment to be disregarded because it's not relevant to this discussion. It's it's important. We need to change the law. It needs to be gotten rid of. It's a violent infringement of your right to keep and bear arms. It's also not relevant to this discussion. Unfortunately, we're going to have to work backwards one step at a time. And this is... We lost those rights for over years. We're going to get them back incrementally as well. Exactly. And the one thing I want to talk about with just a little bit of time we have left here is they make notice or make mention in this article that one of their purposes is to regulate certain weapons likely to be used for criminal purposes. Let me just tell you something. I'm not up on current trends in criminal crime guns, but what I know through reading um, articles written by uh, um, people in the field, currently in the field and, and over in Columbus, one of our friends that contributes Greg to Elifritz. Greg Elifritz has uh, done several studies of crime guns, and I don't remember seeing any mention at all of AR pistols being used as crime guns. Now, I do know from seeing with my own eyes the types of guns that people who are, that are buying at gun shows, there's been a significant uptick over the last couple years in the purchase of AR pistols. So that very well might be the case. Um, but when they talk about weapons likely to be used for criminal purposes. Remember, the NFA was established right after the Roaring Twenties and the Violent Thirties and the, the, the gangster era and the Thompson machine guns and all the stuff they thought was contributing to uh, um, the, the bad things that were happening in society. But when they mention that here, I don't know that it's really applicable because I don't think they can cite documentation where those types of firearms and are I being think used that in is, I think that if somebody wanted to focus in on that and take that as the focus of their comment, and, and I would encourage, if you're going to make comments, be very specific, be very concise, and don't try to cover the entire waterfront. Pick an issue, detail it, and give good, logical uh, and back it up with data to the extent possible, and I think that will cause much more, be much more likely to be useful than if you just scattergun every issue that bothers you about this regulation. And uh, another resource for you, if you go out and uh, do a search of Rob Pincus's treatise on um, uh, the uh, stabilizing brace and the ATF's restrictions. Um, he talks about a variety of different issues, and he talks about that um, progression from the NFA Act in 1934 on to uh, re- recent times. And he just gives you some good breadth and depth of knowledge from which uh, to have that perspective. But again, he also says that it's going to be fighting a losing battle if we try to focus on trying to overturn the 1934 NFA Act. Yeah, I mean, and that that needs to be done, but it's not going to be done this way. All right, we need to take uh, a break and go into the newsroom. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on this pre-recorded show right after Christmas on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290-957. WHIO. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in on this uh, Christmas weekend. I hope everybody's having a Merry Christmas. 
uh, weekend and uh, looking forward to a very happy new year. I'm sure that all of us are going to be glad to put 2020 uh, behind us and look to 2021. Oh, we certainly hope that's the case anyway. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> look forward to two th 2021 with a lot, a lot more hope and aspirations as uh, a lot of goodwill and, and blessings and be thankful for the many blessings we have. Thankful for uh, the, the many of us, all of us that are listening today. We've pulled through 2020 and uh, we're looking forward to big things in 2021. I want to continue our discussion talking about this uh, ATF letter that was put out for public comment. And I wanted to kind of mention that the, the good news is that if you have an AR pistol with the stabilizing brace, that doesn't mean you've got to throw it away and that you've lost it, like uh, kind of what happened to most people who had bump stocks uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the current possessors, there's a number of recommendations that they're considering setting forth as to how you can proceed. And right now, they're saying that there are a number of things. Current possessors of affected stabilizer-equipped firearms may choose to, first of all, register the firearm to be compliant with the NFA. We can talk about the, the pros and cons of that in a minute. Um, they're going to facilitate that. They're going to expedite the processing of the applications of registering such firearms, and they're going to retroactively exempt the $200 fee from having to be paid um, in that process. That's option number one. Um, they will also allow you uh, to permanently remove the stabilizing brace from the firearm and destroy the brace. That's option two. You can replace the barrel of the firearm with a barrel that's 16 inches or greater for a rifle or 18 inches or greater as a shotgun. Or you can surrender the firearm to ATF for destroy for uh, for them to destroy it. I personally see option one and option four as not being even uh, in the works. You're not going to. You, there's no need to register it, and there's no need to uh, certainly turn it over to have them destroy it. Now, if you choose, I think the simplest. Um, uh, decision once this becomes finalized and nothing's final again this is just a proposition and they're going to let us know based on the public uh, comments if we want to believe that, that there's going to be some changes or recommendations <laughs> made yeah um uh they're going to let us know when the when the um uh the regulation is going to become effective but uh simply removing not yet but removing the stabilizing brace and destroying it seems to be the most viable option and the second most viable option will be to essentially uh, replace the barrel um, the, so that you get it in compliance with it ultimately becoming a, a rifle uh, in and of itself, which uh, is interesting because uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mark, as of right now, once you buy a pistol, current law doesn't authorize you to turn it into a rifle. Is that correct? I, I, I don't think I don't that know. the current law is uh, facilitates that. But again, um, we need to look that up, and, and I'll get a clarification on that. But it seems that the once the if, if the current um, recommendations uh, become uh, the regulation, then the simplest solution is to remove the pistol brace and go back to the original configuration of the the, the AR pistol with it just having a, a a tube, a naked tube, so to speak, with nothing on the end of it, or maybe a little uh, a little rubber knob so that it doesn't bang into your arm and and aggravate your skin. Yeah, I've seen little uh, like foam rubber sleeves yeah. that fit over the end to make it a little bit less aggressive. Yeah. So there there are some options, um, and, and it's unfortunate we're at this point. Um, and I'm just going to leave up to the listener why you think we're here. I have my own personal and professional opinion about why we're here, and we'll discuss that at a later date. Um, but it, but it's we are here, and there's a lot of people that are affected. 
Uh, as I mentioned, there's been an uptick in recent years in the purchase of AR pistols. Um, I personally don't own one. Mark doesn't own one. Um, uh, I have a friend, Dave, uh, who, who comes to the show on a regular basis, who's talked about um, his having the, the, the AR pistol for, mainly for his um, the purposes of some of the security options that are uh, security assignments that he's had to work over, well, and over in, time. And in fact, uh, it's, it's one option to have a slightly more powerful weapon, a, a rifle, basically rifle caliber, a high-powered rifle caliber, which, is, I mean, it's not high-powered when you consider what hunting rifles are like, but um, it, the 223 round, the, the 5.56 NATO round, is a significant caliber, and it allows you to have that in a pistol format, which is something that in the state of Ohio you actually can have loaded in your motor vehicle, whereas you are not allowed to have a rifle or a shotgun loaded in your motor vehicle. So for people who want to have something, especially given the riots that we saw earlier this year, and people wanted to have something that, that might be able to be more effective in a, in a very dire circumstance, they wanted to have that available and available for use, in their, in their motor vehicle, the AR pistol was a way to do that. And I know that there are several people who have done that, and that's one of the main reasons that they went with the AR pistol was to have something that would be more effective in the situation of a, um, a mob violence if, you know, or a riot should they be caught in it and were unable to avoid it. Um, what I want to do now is just talk about, uh, or at least give you a little bit of an overview of some of the objective design features that ATF has uh, listed in this letter, and uh, Mark has a, a, a pretty strong opinion about whether they're objective or subjective, but let me just run through some of the considerations of what they classify as objective design features. First of all, they're talking about the type and caliber of the firearm. Now, as you probably well know, AR pistols come in many different calibers. Uh, I've most commonly seen them in 223, 9mm, and actually a few in 308. Um, and uh, uh, 6.5 Creedmoor is another one that I... Uh, 300 Blackout is 300 also Blackout is another. So many calibers are, uh, are available. So that's one of the considerations. They also consider the weight and length of the firearm as one of the criteria. Um, next, they deal with the, what they call the length of the well, Wait a second. Let's just talk about the weight uh, and the length of the firearm. So what they're saying is, based on those standards, caliber, ability to operate with one hand, you would have a, a hard uh, time saying that those criteria don't apply to the Smith & Wesson 500 Magnum. Because the Smith & Wesson 500 Magnum, if you shoot that with one hand, you are going to have a broken wrist, or yeah, at least yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and again, we're, 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 let me go through all the criteria, and they didn't say specifically um, the, the ability to be hold, held with one hand. but They do um, talk about that, though. Right, go ahead. that's one of the factors. Um, length of pull is the next, and here's one of the problems I see with length of pull. Um, when the original AR pistols came out, they just had a fixed tube coming out of the back, and they did not have a stabilizing brace. Well, just recently, at least two manufacturers not only has a stabilizing brace, but they have an adjustable slide bar that enables that um, uh, uh, stabilizing brace to be moved, essentially, just like a stock on a rifle could be moved. So that has contributed, I think, to some of the controversy. Matter of fact, the one that I recently sold a customer happened to have that. And when you look at um, some of these things, um, uh, let me just go through a couple more, and then I'll mention the attachment method. Again, that's that's one thing. The way that the stabilizing brace is attached, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then stabilizing 
uh, brace design features. And I want to talk about that right now because the original original stabilizing brace was simply a little flange that was on the back of the tube and then it had a piece of nylon strap that came down around it that you kind of ran through a little link or loop and pulled it back on, its, on itself and it locked onto the arm to minimize the amount of recoil. And it was effective in doing that. Well, since that, if you look at the evolution of the stabilizing brace, most of the current ones have what looks, I'm going to call it a stock-like appearance to it, the way the back of, if you can picture the back of a stock on a rifle, the way the the sides of the stock kind of flare out and they form like an extended oval. Um, Some of them have fixed plastic, some have heavy rubber with a little bit of nylon on the back or a nylon strap that's designed to pull the two flanges that come uh, go vertically down uh, along your arm together to give it more stabilization. So there has been... Um, I'm going to say technological advances or design enhancements that have occurred um, over the last six or seven years that have, um, I think, contributed to some of the discussion that we're having today. You want to mention and to reiterate from something that we said in an earlier segment, each of these is evaluated individually by the ATF. So they don't have a type certification. They don't say pistol braces fall in this category. And in fact, they they typically don't even evaluate accessories. They only evaluate firearms. So the only way it would be evaluated is if it is attached to a firearm, a specific brace, and then they're saying, does this configuration of the firearm with this brace meet the standards uh, for NFA regulation, or is it something that can be used as a pistol? Yeah, and when that last criteria that I mentioned, the stabilizing brace design features, they go on to say um, some of the criteria are going to be the comparative function of the attachment, the design of the stabilizing brace compared to known shoulder stock designs, referencing what I talked about earlier as far as visual similarity, the amount of rear contact surface area on the stabilizing brace that can be used um, for shouldering the weapon, the material used to make the attachment, therein lies the, the, the kind of the discussion of the, the plastic or the flexible rubber or just a nylon strap. So they're taking those kinds of things um, uh, into consideration. Then they also talk about any interchangeable parts that are known to be used with shoulder stocks. That's under all under the criteria of the design features. They Which then is to say, if you if you use a part that is an existing part that somebody else uses for a shoulder stock, but because it's convenient to use an existing part to create this arm brace, oh, sorry, that that makes it something that we might decide is a, one yes, of the SBR. Yes, one of the factors. Um, then they go on to say that any other feature of the brace that improves the weapon's effectiveness from the shoulder fired position. Um, then they go on to talk about things like the the use of an aim point or red dot, a secondary grip or a fair, forehand grip up on the, the front end of the gun, sights or scopes attached to the top of the firearm. And particularly ones that don't have sufficient eye relief to be used from the end of the arm. Correct. And then peripheral accessories. And they mentioned here bipods or monopods. Uh, um, that can be used to stabilize the gun. So they're looking at a lot of different criteria. And Mark, you can jump in here and talk about, I, I, I don't see a problem with those being listed as objective criteria. You think they're more subjective. Oh, they, than- they absolutely are subjective criteria because they don't specify what about all of these things put it into the SBR criteria versus putting it into the pistol criteria. So they say, we're going to look at all this stuff and then we're going to pile them all together into a big 
thing and we're going to make an objective call based on this particular configuration with all of these factors but we're not going to tell you what about these factors make it fall into the make it fall into the category of a rifle and in this case a short barreled rifle versus a pistol something that with just a brace a stabilizing brace and i think that's where the problem is they say it's objective but then they're they they really don't say what those objective criteria are they have identified the categories that they're planning to use and they don't identify the actual objective criteria which in fact was exactly what the senator's letters specified that they must do they needed to identify the objective criteria and they've only identified the categories of criteria that they will use to come up with a conclusion and i i completely disagree that they have actually achieved anything like objective criteria i I ask our listeners to answer this question um in your own mind and then you know it's going to be greatly beneficial if you go out and read the linked articles that mark's going to put on our website but why are we at this point today? Um, it's my el- assertion that we're at this point today for two reasons. That the manufacturers marketed, added marketing um, impetus to their marketing of these devices to indicate that they are uh, very viable for use uh, as a shoulder weapon. And secondly, there are many people out there who, right, wrong, or indifferent, they bought these AR pistols fully intended to subvert the NFA um, act and use it in that capacity. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't own one, but I've talked with certain people who I know don't use it as a pistol stabilizing brace and instead use it as a shoulder mounted stock. So, um, again, I'm only basing that on some of the things I've seen. All right. We need to take our last break for the hour. Uh, we'll be back right after this with our pre-recorded version of shooting from the hip. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and boy, how time flies flies when you're having a good time. How about that, huh? Yeah, and you know, again, I mentioned uh, early on that this is, uh, Mark and I don't agree on all things all the time, and that's what makes for interesting dialogue on shows like this. Uh, we both have our opinions. Uh, we agree probably on 80 or 90% of the things right on point, but we have I'm getting you converted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, I know that some of our listeners, you have your own opinions, and that's why we want to encourage you to go out to our website, hit on the contact tab, send us an email, email about your thoughts if you have questions or comments. And I will tell you that because of the significance and importance of this topic, like so many other topics, we will likely carry this discussion over to future shows. I can't guarantee that it's going to be next week because who knows what's going to happen between now and next week. Uh, we've got some other issues. New Year's we have a, for one thing. Well, yeah, yeah, we have a, a stand your ground bill uh, to do away with the stand your ground provision here in Ohio sitting on the governor's desk. And it's uh, interesting, going to be interesting to see what happens. And that may make big news and that may have be a lot of fallout. So that may be another uh, a, a totally different topic. But uh, there's lots of things going on. I just want to remind our listeners that uh, if you want to come down to the range, um, over the holidays, we're closed this weekend for Christmas weekend. Um, and next weekend after and, New Year's. And then we'll be closed the weekend after New Year's, but we will be open Monday through Thursday of uh, the week between Christmas 
and New Year's. So the last week, week of December. Yeah. That's right. So if you want to come on down and see what we have, uh, if you've happened to get our, gotten our flyer that just went out a couple days ago, there's a few items left. Uh, interestingly enough, we have some other firearms that are trickling in that be Right after we got that posted, a couple additional firearms came in. So we have some things, and it's first come, first serve. And uh, um, we can't we can't sell you uh, any ammo. That's a, It's something that it just oh, kind of goes wish. contrary to yeah. my, my existence to be able to say that I own a shooting range and I can't sell you ammo. And it's simply because the little bit we have is being used for the people that we got confirmed for training classes because that's basically how we're sustaining ourselves at the at the present time well and when we rent someone a gun we require that they use our ammo and we can't rent them a gun if we can't have ammo for them to shoot if you're um going to go see relatives uh after the christmas holiday and you want a a last minute uh gift we sell gift cards if they live in the 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 greater miami valley area and uh, they're they're involved in shooting gift cards are good for anything for purchasing classes ammo when we have it firearms when we have them accessories whatever the case might be but it's a nice uh stocking stuffer and or a last minute gift for somebody who you forgot to get something you're going to go see somebody uh, after the christmas holiday but uh, we certainly welcome you to come on down to the range talk to us about your uh, issues and we'll be more than glad to help you out all right we before we run out of time and that's going to happen real quick let me encourage you to go out to regulation.gov, and again, I will put these links on the, the, in the news tab of our, uh, of our sim-trainer.com dash, uh, sim dash website, and we'll also put a link in the Facebook, but I'd encourage you not to put comments in Facebook simply because that's going to raise some red flags in places that, you know, we simply don't need. We'd like to be able to keep that page active. So we, we try to keep that pretty generic. So if you'd like to, put a, send us a comment by going to the contact tab on our website, and we will be, in, we'll be happy to incorporate those. We'll respond to them, and we'll give you as much information as we can. Plus, we'll also have uh, that page updated as there's more information. So we may have additional news articles that will show up there based on what happens. Don't forget that the deadline is the 4th of January of 2021, so just about a week, not much more than that in terms of time to be able to get comments. Be very concise, be very focused in the things that you address, stay away from the Second Amendment in general because that's not going to help, uh, and, and address the issues as they are laid out in the document. Thanks very much for being a part of our show. We hope you all had a Merry Christmas, and we wish you a Happy New Year. This is Mark Avery and Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station. Powered by Back to Business IT. Take care of your business. We'll take care of your IT.